We're going to dive back into our study through John's Gospel, and we're in chapter 10 this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn and find John chapter 10. We're studying straight through this Gospel, but as we've already done a couple of times, we're, we're stopping or pausing, slowing down a little bit when we come to another I am statement. We've done that a couple of times already. These I am, there's seven of them in John's Gospel. And so they're an important piece of the fabric of the whole Gospel of John. So uh, we want to give due attention to each of them. In John 10, if you've already read it, you know this, we actually find two of them. Um, and, and both of them he, he states twice. So uh, the first one is, like in verse 7, he says, I am the door of the sheep. And he re reiterates it in verse 9, I am the door. But that leads to the second one, uh, found twice, in, one in verse 11 and then again in verse 14, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. So the fact that we have two of them here, um, I had to make a decision. So for the sake of getting through this whole gospel by the end of the semester, because we still have a ways to go, um, and because both of these uh, I am statements, I am the, I am the door of the sheep, I am the good shepherd, but because both of those I am statements are part of the same metaphor of sheep and shepherd, um, I'm, I'm going to try to uh, address that whole metaphor, right, and, in, in one, um, and not spend a whole week on I am the door, and then a second whole week on I am the good shepherd. We don't have enough time to do that, uh, and, and also because when he says I am the door of the sheep, that, that's going to carry... We can talk about the metaphor generally this morning. The specific meaning of I am the door of the sheep, though, we'll, the, same, the same idea captured there is going to be captured again later in another I am statement in John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I think if we sort of brush over I am the door today, we're not going to skip it all together. So all that to say, we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning thinking about I am the good shepherd. Uh, th this is one of the, the sweetest and most encouraging of all the I am statements to me um, in terms of uh, assuring us of his love for us and, and, uh, and of his faithfulness to us and of our safety and assurance in him. And it's just a, it's a beautiful passage to think on for a while. Uh, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is referred to in this way a couple of times else in the New Testament. So, for example... The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 20 says this. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. That's the writer of Hebrews. Or think of Peter in 1 Peter 5, verse 4. Peter actually calls Jesus the chief shepherd. When he says... Talking about the second coming of, of Jesus, he says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So as later New Testament, Testament writers uh, wanted, to, wanted to describe who Jesus is, they routinely drew on this imagery of him being the good shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep, the chief shepherd, which just goes to show you how significant what Jesus says here in John 10 is, I am the good shepherd. Well, let's actually read what he says in the whole context of the passage, and then we'll dive in and think more closely about it. 
We'll begin in verse 1. We'll actually read to verse 30. Um, not quite the whole chapter, but a good part of it. When we come back next week, we'll, we'll, we'll lap back over some of this as we round out finishing the whole chapter. But uh, for context, we'll read 1 through 30. So beginning there, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper, gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That's referring to the last chapter. At the time of the feast, at the time the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of, my father, out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask your help uh, as we study your word this morning. We confess our faith that what we just read is your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word for us and for our salvation. 
and it is it is therefore weighty. It, it imposes a great responsibility on us when we come to it, not just to teach it, but even to hear it. And so we ask your help. Would you please give us uh, eyes to see the truth here? Would you give us minds to understand it clearly? Would you give us hearts to embrace and love the truth that we see and know so that you might give us wills to obey whatever it may lead us to do? And would you please please give me the help that I need to teach and to teach clearly? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, uh, let's first be clear on the, on the cast of characters we see here. Who all is being talked about here, just to get our bearings? Uh, first of all, you have this, this group that is variously referred to at, in verse 5 as strangers. Strangers they will not follow. Uh, in verses 1 and 8, you have thieves and robbers mentioned. In verses 12 and 13, you have hired hands. Those aren't three different groups. Those are three ways of talking about the same group of people, which would be who. Uh, in context, those are three different ways that Jesus is referring to the Pharisees and the other Jewish re religious leaders. Um, how do you know that? Because, and I've mentioned this several times, it just bears mentioning as often as we come upon it, uh, just because we're in a new chapter doesn't mean we're in an entirely new context. I know we haven't been in John since the middle of December, but we're still in the same uh, conversation as, as chapter 9. So chapter 9, remember, that's when, when, when Jesus healed and gave sight to a, a blind man. And, and controversy arose out of that. He healed him on a Sabbath. Controversy arose out of that. That was chapter 9. Now we're in chapter 10, and we're talking about sheep and shepherd. But it's not, it's not a different conversation. He's still talking to the rulers. Remember, he had come back to find the blind man and had an encounter with the Jewish rulers. And this is part of that conversation. And you might wonder, what is the connection between the two? How is Jesus coming back uh, after, after healing a, a formerly blind man, and, and now Jesus is addressing the, the Jewish rulers. How does what he's saying here, I'm the door of the sheep, I am the good shepherd, how does, what, how does all of that have to do with them? What is he saying to them in saying all of this? Uh, I don't, it may not be immediately apparent to us, but I have very little doubt that what he said would have been lost completely on them. They may not have said so, but I have to believe that, that they understood what I'm about to say. Uh, I, I believe that, that this business about Jesus being the door of the sheep and the good shepherd, this whole sheep and shepherd imagery, the elephant in the room is the Old Testament background of Ezekiel 34. Um, and, and the Jewish rulers would have recognized that, at least crossed their mind. It's important because in that chapter, in Ezekiel 34, God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, and he is excoriating the religion, Jewish religious leaders of that day. And he's doing it in this same imagery uh, for, 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 being, for not being good spiritual shepherds of the people, his sheep, right? I think, I think we need to, to be good stewards of the text. We need to look at Ezekiel 34. So hold your place in John 10 and, and turn left and find Ezekiel chapter 34. If you've ever read Ezekiel, you know that you can read a lot of it and go, what? I mean, 
you can go whole chunks of Ezekiel and and not have any idea what what you're reading. So if that's if that's you, you know, don't don't feel like you're alone. Some of it is really hard to understand. But then you come to chapter 34, and it's just so striking. It's such an amazingly beautiful chapter. So Ezekiel 34. If you get to Jeremiah and Isaiah, you've gone too far. And I just let's read it chunk by chunk. So look with me at verses one through ten. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, the ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have found, not bound up, you have, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains. And on every high hill, my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding, uh, to the feeding the sheep. Uh, no longer shall the, the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may be food for them. You can see right there, and that is that is that is straight, right? Like, and Jesus is 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 in John ten. He's calling on this imagery, a passage just like this, perhaps this passage, and 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 trusting that the Pharisees and the Jewish religious leaders, who would have been so so familiar with the Old Testament, I've told you this before, and it's 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 apocryphal. It's 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 a legend. It's probably not true, but any. Legend has some element of truth as to why it was created in the first place. And the Pharisees had this reputation that you could have taken the Old Testament, closed the book, driven a nail through the book, and they could they could have they knew the Old Testament so well they could tell you every word that it pierced. Like that's the that's the imagery that people had of the Pharisees. They knew the book. They would have known that when Jesus is using all this shepherd and sheep imagery, this is where their mind would have gone. And Jesus is calling the Pharisees of his day, their minds back to this chapter to remind them how God lit into the Old Testament priests and religious leaders for leading the people astray. Why would Jesus be doing that in John 10? Because they had just, John chapter 9, they had just excommunicated a formerly blind man from the temple, from the synagogue, because the formerly blind man, now seeing, had the audacity to say that he did not believe that Jesus was an evil and wicked man and that there was nothing special about him, even though he had just put mud on his eyes and he now sees. And so Jesus is indicting the Pharisees with the same indictment 
of the religious leaders in Ezekiel's day. Let's keep reading in Ezekiel 34, verses 11 to 24. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep and have been, that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel uh, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on, on rich pastures they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my people, of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the straight. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and, and, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between ram, rams and male goats. Is, is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture? to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet and must my sheep eat with uh, eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet therefore thus says the lord to them behold i i myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you push with side and shoulder and thrust thrust at all the weak with uh, with your horns till you have scattered them abroad i will rescue my flock they shall no longer be a prey and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up, this is key, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. That, that passage right there is just so thick with imagery. I, I mean, you see it. This is, particularly verses 15 and 16, like look there again, where he says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the straight. I will bind up the injured, strengthen the weak. I mean, he says there again, and how would God himself do that? How would God himself be the shepherd? He says it down in verses 23 and 24. I will set up for them one shepherd, my servant David. He shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. So somehow God himself being the shepherd and him setting up David as the shepherd is the same thing. He's not talking out of both sides of his mouth as it were. So who is, who is this David that he's talking about in Ezekiel 34? Who is the David? Because he says there in verse 23, I will set up the one shepherd, my servant David. Who is that David that is to come? We've been in the Old Testament enough to know that you know that when the Old Testament prophesies of the coming Messiah in a lot of different places, it says this coming Messiah would be a descendant of David. It says it in 2 Samuel 7. It says it in Psalm 89. And the very first words of the New Testament, Matthew 1, 1, right? The book of, Je of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We're told of Jesus in Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus is that greater Davidic king uh, who would come, the, the Messiah, and, and be, as Ezekiel 34 says, the great shepherd of the people of God. But just for beauty's sake, let's finish reading verses 25 to 31. We've come this far. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season and they shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase. And they shall become, shall, they shall, shall be secure in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land, and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations and they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them and that they the house of Israel are my people declares the Lord and you are my sheep human sheep of my pasture and I am your God declares the Lord praise the Lord Jesus is God who has come the shepherd of his people is it any wonder by the way we're just coming through the Christmas season we've been thinking about the Christmas story is it any wonder that when an angel came to announce the birth of Christ, who did he come to first? Shepherds. Right? He came to shepherds first. Scripture's not an accident. It's God's word. There's nothing, there's nothing like it. So with that Old Testament background, let's go back to John 10. Uh, showing us that when Jesus said, I'm the door of the sheep, I am the good shepherd, Jesus was, say, Jesus was saying that, that he was God himself, that Ezekiel 34 promised to come. And be the shepherd of the people. And that all the religious leaders that he was looking at, the Pharisees and the others, they, they were never meant to be, never could be. But as we zero in particularly on Jesus twice saying, I am the good shepherd, I want us to answer two basic questions. All right? Here, if you're taking notes, here, here they are. First, we're going to confirm uh, from more places than just Ezekiel 34, who is the shepherd in Good Shepherd. Who is the shepherd in Good Shepherd? That's question number one. We're going to look more at the Old Testament than just that one chapter in Ezekiel 34, just to confirm what we're talking about. It's going to require more than the Sunday school answer, Jesus. So that's true, but there's more. The second, and I think the most encouraging aspect of this is this question. How is he good in Good Shepherd? Like, Who is the shepherd in Good Shepherd? How is he good in Good Shepherd? Um, how does this passage and the rest of Scripture help us answer that and these questions? So let's think about it. Think first about who is the shepherd in Good Shepherd? Who is the shepherd? Obviously, we've already pointed out that it's Jesus. Clearly, he's the one talking here. And out of his own mouth, he twice says, I am the Good Shepherd. Clearly, we've already seen both the author of Hebrews and Peter identifies the shepherd as Jesus. But clearly there's more to it than that. Otherwise, he would have just said, I am Jesus and not I am the good shepherd. 
There's simply, there's, there's more significance to the image of the good shepherd. We've already seen a great deal of that in Ezekiel 34. And, and John's gospel hammers this point over and over and over and over again. So we need to hear it as, as clearly and as much as he says it. And in as many ways as he says it, he keeps telling us in vivid ways who he is. Which is why their question in verse 24, for example, is so blind. Tell us if you're the Christ. He'd already told them. He is telling them. He'll tell them again and again who he is and what he came to do. What does the image of being the good shepherd tell us about who Jesus is? And if you've been here in this study of the Gospel of John, if you were paying attention when we read that whole chapter of Ezekiel 34, you, you won't be surprised that Jesus is claiming his own deity when he says, I am the good shepherd. Not simply because it's another I am statement, and that name I am is a, is a, uh, a title or a name of the Lord God in the Old Testament, because, but also this imagery of being the good shepherd. Because throughout the Old Testament, in addition to Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel 34 is not the only place. A lot of places in the Old Testament, God himself is described as the shepherd of his people. Like, just give me, you can just jot these down. Here's just a few examples. Well, I may get you to flip to one more passage. But one example is in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 10 and 11. Isaiah 40, 10 and 11. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. The Lord God will tend his flock like a shepherd. God is the shepherd, right? But what when you think of God, the Lord, and the shepherd, what do you think is probably the most well-known pas- Old Testament passage about this? I think I might have heard it. Psalm 23. Right? So just for uh, warming your fingers up, turn, turn back to Psalm 23. Let's look at that. Psalm 20, the 23rd Psalm. I'll just go ahead and start reading it because you know it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, shepherd imagery, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what you find, let's just look at that psalm generally. A couple things just to point out here. It began, that psalm begins and ends with the covenant name of God. The Lord, in, in small caps, the Lord is my shepherd. At the end, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the Lord God is in view in this psalm. And what does it say about him at, at, right off the bat? He is my shepherd. God is the shepherd in Psalm 23. But while we're in the Psalms, just flip over to Psalm 80. 80, Psalm 80. We won't read the whole thing, but just part of it. Let's read verses 1 through 7. 
Psalm 80, verses 1 through 7. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, who you, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O, o God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. But you see there in verse 1, O shepherd of Israel. Who is that? Who is the O shepherd of Israel? In verse 3, he is called O God. And in verse 4, O Lord of hosts. You see Lord in small caps there. That's, the, that's letting you know in the Hebrew, that's the covenant name. Yahweh or Jehovah or however you want to pronounce that. Covenant name of God. Verse 4. And by the way, we're going to be coming back to this psalm in a few weeks because if you look at verse 8, it says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. That, that's going to be part of the background in John 15, 1, when Jesus says, I am the true vine. Right? So just file that away. Anyway, there you are in the psalm. So go back to John 10 again. And, and looking back at those psalms and looking back at Isaiah 40, you can see how it was a deeply ingrained understanding that God himself is the shepherd of his people. Right? We didn't look at Psalm 95. You don't have to turn there, but we didn't look at Psalm 95 that famously says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. If we, if we the people, are the sheep of His pasture, what does that make Him? He's our shepherd. And He's the Lord, our Maker. Then Jesus comes along in John 10 in verses 11 and 14. He says, I am the good shepherd, clearly taking for himself this divine name and title. That, and, and he would say it in more unambiguous fashion in verse 30 of John 10 when he says, I and the Father are one. Just in case you didn't get the imagery, this is what I was saying. Possesses the same deity as God the Father because he is the same God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share the same glory because it is the same glory. One God in three persons. But in calling himself the Good Shepherd, we need to be aware that he wasn't just calling himself God. Yes, God was the shepherd in the Old Testament, and now Jesus is the shepherd in the New. He is God. Yes, it is saying that, but it's not only saying that. It's not merely saying that uh, because based on what we have just been thinking about during the Christmas season, it also expresses this idea that He is God, but He is God with us. He's God with us. Remember, you don't have to turn back there, but remember back in Ezekiel 34 when after chastising the earthly shepherds, the earthly religious leaders, God says in verse 23 of that chapter, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them and Feed them and be their shepherd. He has to be with them, right? My servant David. David was, David was already long dead when he said that, but God had already promised to David, even when he was still alive, that one of his descendants 
would be an everlasting king on his throne and would also, like David, be a shepherd. David was a shepherd and later a king. And there's a, By the way, there's a steady stream in the Old Testament of uh, important men who are also shepherds. You know that? Like Abel was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Joseph was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. I mean, a lot of important people were leading us to this idea there's a greater shepherd coming, another important shepherd coming. Why are these two important things, that he is not just God, but he is God with us as our shepherd? Why are these two truths important? Because if he doesn't have those two natures, God and man, then he cannot be our Savior or anyone. He must be man to take our place. He must be God to bear the sin in a moment rather than in eternity. He didn't, pause, he didn't hit pause on being God to become man. He didn't let go of being God for a minute to become man. He took on human nature. He, he didn't relinquish anything. He took on something else. And in saying, I'm the good shepherd, he's reminding us that he is both God and man, God with us, as us, to save us. So that's who the shepherd is. But it leads to the second question that I want to say a word about, and that is, how is he good? He doesn't just say, I am the shepherd of the sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. So how is he good? Well, let's think about this. This is where we'll take a closer look, a little closer look at John 10 itself. Uh, the text here. And, and flesh out even more why the shepherd, shepherd in general, was the, was the chosen image for God over his people even in the Old Testament and here. In essence, what we're asking about this passage is, how is he good? It's essentially, what does he do as our shepherd that is so good? Okay? Answer that, and you see how good he is. That, that, and the beauty of John 10, in answer to that question, is that it is also just straightforward. It's, it's, not, it's not unclear. It's not complicated to figure out what he's saying. It's so simple, but it's just so profound. Let's look at it. There are four basic things that, that identify how good he is as our shepherd. And the first thing is this, he knows his sheep. He knows his sheep. This one is so encouraging. He says this in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. And he said in verse 3, which we'll look again and again in a second, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. By name. Underline by name and leads them out. I want to focus on that by name. He doesn't just know his people generally, generically. He knows you by name. He knows you specifically. And in fact, it goes further. Look at what he says in verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd, just like Ezekiel 34 said. But the sheep are not yet in the fold, but he already knows them. He already knows them. But he doesn't just know you by name. He knew you before you knew him. Just that's not just the highfalutin theology, just like 
think about it. Bring it down to your life, right? Just think on your life. You, as you're sitting there, think on your life. Think deeply about you, like really you. Think about your sin. Think about your shortcomings. Think about your weaknesses, your struggles. I mean, for crying out loud, what are sheep in, in the Bible prone to do? Wander off. Jesus knows that. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your struggles. He knows your sins. He knows your failures. He knows your intentional weaknesses, your intentional sins. He knows what you've already forgotten about yourself. He knows, and let's be honest, that he knows us like that would be a terrifying thing if not for the other truths about him as our good shepherd. But the first one is he knows his sheep, but the second truth is he calls his sheep. And it is an effectual call, meaning when he calls, people come. Look again at verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. This one, this one, you're trusting in Christ, just put yourself there, called you by name, knows you so intimately, knows your, knows your unintentional and your intentional sins and failures and shortcomings, knows them, knows and remembers all the things that you've already forgotten. That one, that one he calls, leads them out. Those he calls always come. Again, verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice so that they will be one flock and one shepherd. I must bring them. They will listen to my voice. There will be always effectual. He calls us with full knowledge of us. And if he only waited for good candidates, he wouldn't call anybody. There are none. Combine those first two truths about him. He knows, he calls. Combine those, full knowledge of you, calls you by name anyway. If you have trusted Christ and you are still so aware of your sins and shortcomings, maybe you went home during Christmas break and because you were back in old territory, you fell into old sin, old habits. And you're so aware of that about you. You're still so aware of how, how wretched you are. Jesus tells you these things about himself so that you know he knew this about you. He knew this about you. And he called you anyway. But there's a third truth. As the good shepherd, he provides for his sheep. And not just in the daily bread sense, but first and foremost in the eternal life sense. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Knowing you, laid down his life for you so that you can have abundant life in him. Every sin and shortcoming you know of yourself or will ever discover about yourself, he already knows and he already gave his life for it. In full knowledge of it. When, it, when we talk about Jesus died for your sins, it's not just all the sins that you've already done and can remember. 
because it was all future to him, right? To all the things that you will ever do. And, it's, and he did it not just so that you would have eternal life, but abundant life. That's what he says in verse 10. A life that isn't weighed down with guilt or worry or addiction, but freedom and joy. That's what the angel said to the shepherds when they announced the birth of Christ. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. That's abundant life. Knowing he knows us, knows me, gave his life for us, still calls us to come. That's a great joy. And his desire is to push away every fear. When we, when we hide our sins or even refuse to confess them to the Lord, it's like the psalmist said in Psalm 32, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. But then the psalmist said, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. The Lord knows already. And when we hide it, it's simply rebellion in us. And knowing us, he already laid down his life for us so that we would come humbly and freely and know that he's forgiven the sin, the iniquity of our sin. That's the word of the Lord. But finally, fourthly, he protects his sheep. That's what he means in verse 4 when he says, When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Think, think of that imagery of going before us. Going before us. He tells us what it means in verses 12 and 13. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd does not own the sheep, See, and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the, the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep to which he says I'm the good shepherd my own know me I know my own and my own we, we are his own he goes before us he doesn't leave us to the wolves sometimes the wolves in our own heart he goes before us to protect us just think about that truth in your life the reality is that he does that most of the time in ways we don't even notice uh we just avoid the danger without realizing we did. He And he will protect and keep us to the very end of our lives. He says in verses 28 and 30, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. No matter how much time passes, no matter how many hills and valleys, he never leaves, and he never lets you leave. He really is a good shepherd. It, it, it's such a beautiful truth, and I wish we had time to, to pray together for a few minutes, but our, our, I've talked so long, our time is basically out. But when you do go home, if you have a moment with the Lord to pray, pray with this passage in mind. Pray, pray back to him according to what you have heard Jesus say here. Like, how, what might that prayer look like? Just prayer, uh, pray prayers of, of praise for him as the Lord our shepherd, but also pray specific prayers of thanksgiving that he, that he thank him for knowing you and still calling you, dying for you, and promising to keep you to the end. That's beautiful.